Cannon. Good evening, good evening, good evening. Right into it. Let's get into another KG Fifth Ward Wildcat and Doc podcast. Fellas, how are you? I'm in a mood. I'm in a mood. Doc, how are you? Not too bad. Not too bad, all things considered. This will be a football-dominated podcast, but I want to get this congratulations mentioned first off. Kudos to Team USA women's basketball team and head coach Gina Oriama and his coaching staff for bringing home the gold with a 77-64 victory over Spain today in Istanbul, Turkey, as the USA won uh, the World FIBA World Cup championship for the second consecutive time to go with, with their, I believe, five straight Olympic gold medals for USA women's basketball. Maya Moore was named MVP. Uh, she scored 18 points in today's win over Spain. Spain's, excuse me, Sancho Little, Sancho Little of Spain, led Spain with 16 points. Say that because Sancho is a Houston Cougar. Yes. A still have not gotten forgotten the phrase from Texas. Uh, from TCU. Thank you, because I want to bring that up. I yes. will not forget that. Sancho Little, six foot two, athlete, uber athlete, who grew up playing. Netball. Netball. And that's not quite the same as basketball. Trust me, so when you see it, you would definitely know. It is It is a difference between netball and basketball. But heard about this young lady, said, yeah, Chris, Jerry, bringing in this player next year. She's something special. I said, yeah, yeah, whatever. Y'all talk a lot of stuff, but whatever. <laughs> Saw Sancho play. Oh, my. First game was, was different. And then you saw really what she could do. And Sancho and paired with Chandy Jones and Nicole Oliver and with the golden era of oh. USB women's basketball. Yes, and Sancho will. helped lead them to uh, two straight NCAA championships. But what Wildcat and I were referencing is uh, Sancho junior year. She came from a junior college. Junior year, the Conference USA championship back when Conference USA was legitimate women's basketball conference. Powerhouse Cincinnati. TCU. Louisville and DePaul are part of the same conference and not the Big East. And now Big East slash the American. Right. U of H is playing, I think it was a Friday. I think it was what, the first round. Maybe it wasn't championship round. It wasn't no. that. These the quarterfinals or the semifinals. Sancho was just dominating whoever they were. I don't even remember who the opponent. It was just a dominant performance by her. It was just a straight up beat down is what I called it. It was. I think it was the first thing of quarterfinals, first day in Fort Worth. And uh, she stole the ball, I think, three straight times. Yep. Dribbled down for layups. On the and, first two. And blocked the shot of a perimeter shot and went in to finish. And you could tell if she wanted to, if she had, I think, big enough hands, she could have dunked it. But she was so impressive by the, the block shots and getting down the floor. A lady in the crowd behind us said, you might as well dunk it. Go ahead and dunk it. We see you get up high enough. Go ahead and dunk it then. And I, pretty much the rest of the game, we just couldn't get that phrase and that look out of our, our brain. And our, thank goodness it was in the second half. We didn't have that much further to go. But it was just the idea of a fan watching, saying, just change the game. Somebody just get this game over with, please. Because we just get beat down. You can tell she was for the other team. But and she, she was just just didn't want to watch it anymore. She was an awesome rebounder. She she was still learning the game at U of H, but you could just see the ability. Oh. And now she's playing. She's been in the WNBA for 
think nine seasons, nine, ten seasons now. And I remember this. I'm proud of this. When she was drafted, I think she was the fifth pick in the WNBA draft. And I think the Comets drafted her, right? Yeah. I believe. I'm yes. correct on that. Yes. There was no media at the WNBA draft when the Comets drafted Sancho. Not even at the draft. I was back. there. This was in. There was no one, you know, wasn't at the, you know, at uh, like New York or whatever. Mm-hmm. So oh, I was the only person there to be downtown to talk to, you know, the Comets. And because of connection of Sancho, seeing Sancho play at U of H, it was she was on a conference call. Just me, really. Just me and Saint. That's a nickname, Saint. On a conference call. And I think Bob Schranz was the Comets media director. And, uh, you know, he's like, Sancho, are you ready? She said, yes. And, I, and she recognized my voice. I said, well, you know who this is, right? And she's like, yes. So me and her were talking. So it was a great interview. And I might even have that still on, on the Brown Barbie website. I have to go back and see the archive, you know, see if it's an MP3 format. But seeing her, seeing her do well, you know, playing for, for Spain. And she got a silver medal. That's great. I'm proud of Saint. But I'm very happy for Team USA representing, as the fellas did as well, bringing home the gold. So kudos to uh, them. Basketball season started officially for UH women. Coach Huey, his staff and players practice today at Hawthorne's Pavilion. You can see an interview of Coach Huey on Houston Round Barview YouTube channel. Yep. Wildcat was there as well. He stayed for to watch a little bit of practice, more practice than I did. But both of us, Wildcat and myself, will be at the American in New York for their media day at the end of October. Correct? Yeah. Yes. So, yes, you, you heard. Let me say that one more time. The Wildcat and myself. Both of us will be in New York for the American Athletic Conference Media Day, men's and women's basketball. Correct, sir? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Yes, one more sir. time, Doc. Let me say it one more time for the listeners. Yeah, make sure they hear that. Both the Wildcat and myself will be in New York at the American Athletic Conference Media Day, men's and women's, in New York. Right, sir? Yes, sir. And for a fact. That's truly fascinating. You're talking about dedicated to your craft. And when you're talking about players... As you talk about Sancho, essentially at the end of the day, when I, what comes to mind is Hall of Famer. Uva should retire her jersey. Exactly, no question. For me, when I think about it from the HBCU landscape, I think like Gotti Warama, who took Prairie A and M's women basketball, sent to Coach Cooper that now is at USC Southern California. Obviously, you would think she would have found a way to get there, but obviously coaches don't make it to the level they are without players. That's true. And one of her first players, who was actually the SWAC, freshman player of the year, uh, she actually took home uh, later in her career player of the year honors in terms of defensive player of the year honors, plays professional overseas. When you see players that get things done like that, oftentimes you don't recognize their greatness when they're in front of you on your campus uh, because you're so busy cheering or you're so – busy to the routine of going through back and forth. You really don't necessarily look at people's stats and things of that nature. And essentially what I see is Hall of Famer. It's like BYU um, coming back and retiring. Um, what's the quarterback's name in Chicago? Uh, Jim McMahon. Jim McMahon. Obviously they had the requirements that you had to have your degree, but finally he got that done. And to his credit, his jersey was retired. And essentially that's what I think when you make the comments you make, is essentially you have a player that accolade and they get it done, particularly later in their career. You kind of take a look back and see the greatness they had. 
as women basketball at U of H just been, haven't really had the routine success and really hasn't been back to that level since her, which you let you know. And a lot of her credit goes to the fact she was just that talent. And no slight to uh, Coach Buchanan's team led by Courtney Taylor. And they read, and those seniors reached the NCAA tournament and I think lost West Virginia in the first round. That was, what, three, four years ago, four or yeah. five years ago. Yeah, um, 11. With with Courtney Taylor and Brittany Mason and, and, and Porsche, you know, that was a very good team. No question. It was a good team. But it wasn't, it wasn't a Sancho, Chaney, Nicole Oliver That's a very team. good team. That was a very good team. That was a very good team. But talking about Sancho, she is credited for a slam dunk in 2003 against Gonzaga. It was in a tournament in Iowa. All this is bringing back memories for me. Because the game was, I think it was only on the internet maybe, but it's 2003. Iowa staff was shooting a game, basically scouting for, the, for themselves for the next game in the tournament, in the Classic. It was 14 Classic. So she had a breakaway. That's like we were talking about it in this Conference USA tournament. So she's racing down the floor. The camera doesn't follow her down the floor. So all you see basically when it catches up to her is ball through the net and the rim shaking. And I cameraman's like, I think she dunked that. So I think they may have got a, a slightly better angle to show it because like I said, Saints hands are not big, but apparently she threw it down enough where you could you saw the rim maybe pull down and the ball go through. So NCA counted it as a dunk. She is one of the other women to dunk in the NCA game along with Michelle Snow, Candace Parker, mm-hmm. Brittany Griner, Sylvia Fowles, and George Ann Wells. So another indication of Sancho Hall of Fame. Hall of Fame historical status, not just U of H on the NCAA landscape as well. Yep. Well, fellas. What? Okay, t- tell me, g- give me your thoughts on what we saw at Hawkeye today. Uh, no size. Well, no no, uh, uh, no height. Uh, they've got size at some, at some positions that they are, didn't have before, meaning that uh, guard position had some size on it. Uh, small forward, uh, well, wing have uh, some size on them, but no post player. Uh, it would be uh, by committee. Uh, people are having, there'd be some folks be playing out of position just because they have, they have rebounding abilities that are exceptional. Coach had mentioned he wants to play fast. They need to play. He hoped to score 80 points a game. That's what he said, but he did acknowledge, well, when we get there, yeah, we'll yeah, see. see. Yeah. You know, we but, hadn't played a game yet. But that's and, a, that's a my, goal, to average 80 points a game. His expectations are mighty. That's a lot. He, uh, the, yes. And the conversation he had with, uh, with the one, two, three, four uh, folks that were there today. His the way the college game is played, 80 points, that's a lot. I was told, well, two I, I take that back. KG and I were told years ago. That if a team, a women's team, averaged 70 points, 70 to 75 on a regular basis, they were doing a hell of a job defensively. Or the teams they were playing were in up to a point to where they couldn't <laughs> stop them late in a game from scoring. 
Am I wrong? And he said they want to get after. They want to press. They want to be aggressive on defense, full court, you know, half court. Use the whole floor to get after defensively. So that's great. Now, to your point, looking at the roster, they have one, two, three, six young ladies, six one or six two. Not six foot four, not six five, six six, six seven, six eight, like the women's college game is going getting to. There are oh, more yeah. and more taller female players on the collegiate level. Yeah. But you've eight, that, you know, that that can play. Yes, and one of their verbal recruits from Oklahoma, I think he's like 6'3", six, 6'4", six, so we'll see. I so will admit. The they're not one, tall, as you indicated. No. But they look stronger. Now, I still didn't find out who number four was. Yes, she's not listed. I don't know if she's a walk-on. She's not on what we were handed uh, on the and roster. I wasn't able to ask anyone that would have known because they were still in the middle of practice, and I didn't want to disturb them. But we can but, find out. But there was a young lady. If the jerseys match what we have on the roster sheet, it's going to be interesting. Moesha Kennard, 5'8 freshman from New Iberia in Louisiana. Yeah. She is a muscular, strong-looking young lady. So yeah. that's good to see if they get him and bringing in some strong players and some athletes because they're playing and competing in a big-time conference, conference. Yep. against the elite of the elite strong players who are strong and tall. And if not a big time conference, we know it's definitely a big yeah, time doc, team. Yeah, you, you, Doc, you, well, you, you actually got that's a better see. point. That's a better point. It's so a big time team. You actually saw, sure Doc. You actually saw. You know, no offense to my people and friends and colleagues. Your, your perception is, is but yeah, it's gotten better. A big time team, Connecticut is the big time team. Of course, Doc is referring to. We'll have to see who, who, which other team, if any other team, will help the conference become a big time conference. And and he has said that. On more times at the mic than we can count on both hands and both feet. Our conference, and he said it exactly, our conference has to get better overall. Overall. Because competition starts in our conference. It doesn't start when we get go out of it and postseason well, play. That's what he means. Com- competition for him starts non-conference. And ends well, in non-conference. It starts because it's hell of a show. Don't start in his in competition. Conference. No, his competition starts when it comes to recruiting. But it still that doesn't come <laughs> from anybody in the conference. You know, <laughs> you, know you the first. Let me tell me, please. When someone in the American Athletic Conference signs a top ten player, please. Other than UConn, that's what I'm saying. Uh, yeah, just, when that happens, then. The, yeah, the tide is turned, and the American will become a a, a big time conference. USF is ESPN's chosen team to be the second best team in the conference. That's because, not good. Because, somebody because, because not yes, happen. because they're, they're part happen. of uh, an ESPN doubleheader. I think a big Monday matchup where UConn playing USF to end the season. That's not going to happen. And that's on at least anytime soon. My women's hoops blog for the Houston <laughs> Round Bar Review. Uh, right, USF is a solid team. They're not a UConn level. I did, okay. But Go compared ahead, to the rest of the teams in the conference, they're the second best team in the conference, especially now the Louisville and Rutgers are gone. And that is go- it's going to be interesting who decides to make that move and takes up those two spots. Because nobody. Some- USF got one of those spots, and then we got to see if it's who's the UCF. No, I, I, Tulane. I'm Tulsa. not talking about being given. I'm talking about actually taking that position where they are. Uh, on a consistent basis, they challenging. 
Yeah, you're talking about teams that can legitimately be a final Front four. Team. Yeah. It may not be. <laughs> don't, I'm, don't, talking, I'm talking just get to the tournament. No. Yeah, I ain't I, talking about I, being a final four. Because well, that's when you, what I see when you talk about Louisville and Rutgers. Well, well, yes. You're talking about the, final four. Yeah. That, that's where I'm referencing. And to me, I'm going, I'm looking, I'm not going to accept anything beyond, you know, on the next level down. If you said, let's like, I'm gonna go with Gino. I will have to definitely agree with him on this. If the conference wants to get better, and you want to challenge who he is and what that UConn brand is, you have to get better in the conference. That means accept the challenge, step up, recruit, play, bust ass, get it done, and night in and night out compete. Amen. And when and when you make a mistake, don't dwell on the mistake. And allow the, the the crap to just fall listen, out. Now listen to this to prove all of our point. To bring to hammer it home. ESPN's Big Monday women's hoop schedule begins January nineteenth. Okay. The schedule is on. Uh, the link to it is on my women's hoops blog. Okay. Let's see. There are one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. I think nine matchups. Okay. Listen to this. Listen to the matchups and listen to what I say. January 19th, number three, and this is based on ESPN's Charlie Kareem's preseason top 25, women's basketball. Number three, Tennessee at number five, Notre Dame. January 26th, number four, Texas A&M at number two, South Carolina. February 2nd, number 16, Louisville at number seven, Duke. February 9th, number two, South Carolina at number one, Connecticut. I'm looking forward to that one right there. Uh-huh. South Carolina at Connecticut. Oh, yeah. We're Next, fighting. number 14, Maryland at number eight, Michigan State. That's going to be February, a February 16th, double hitter. Game number two, number seven, Duke at number five, Notre Dame. ACC conference matchup. February 23rd, another double hitter. Part of the Play for K uh, charity movement. Number 16, Louisville at number five, Notre Dame. Another ACC matchup. Mm-hmm. Second game of that, of, of that doubleheader, number three, Tennessee, at number two, South Carolina. Notice, all of those matchups feature ranked teams Everybody on both sides, one. correct? Yep. Okay, the last game of Big Monday, 6 p.m., March 2nd, number one, Connecticut, at USF. Really? Really? Not ranked USF. Not top 25 USF. Not top 20, not top 15, not top 10, I mean, not that, top 5. That means it fell in the schedule at, at the right place. I think my silence says it all. Yes, sir. Now, non, uh, non, closed. non-conference, month of, Dece- well, month of December, uh, no, month of November and December. It, November 20th, uh, this is U of H. Yes, it, it's, it's, it, it's, it's sad. And folks, this is what they put together now. November 17th, Monday at home, Incarnate Word. This is, this is U of A's non-conference schedule. November 27, uh, 21st at Texas A&M Corpus Christi. Not lost. the same team, the program that it used to be. Still a loss, though. Uh, yeah, that's true. Um, November 28th, Idaho State. November 29th, James Madison, San Juan, Puerto Rico. Shootout. Shootout. Yeah, that's, that's now, they come, they come home April, uh, December 3rd. Rice at home. December 7th, on a Sunday, 2 o'clock p.m., they play Prayer View at home. December 13th, at Texas A&M, 
And then they finish out this, the, uh, the month of December um, with Athletes in Action Tournament, UTSA, Nichols State, Texas Tech, all in Lubbock. Then they play a Saturday home opener for the conference against UCF on December 27th. And then they finish out the month of December, December 30th on a Tuesday at Tulane. Stop right there. Don't you need to go? Oh, no, no. That's as far as I need to go. Right there. Non-conference. Does anything jump at you and says, we're going to dominate that, that period in November? Heck no. In the month of December. Does any one of those games jump out there and say, yeah, we're going to dominate? Heck no. Folks. That game against A&M, Texas A&M is going to be ugly. Because now. That game against Preview is going to be ugly for the, for, for the wrong reason. Yeah, there, there you go. Final score might be 45 to 40. But uh, yeah, unfortunately, I think that's and, true. And and the worst part about that is, when Prairie came in the Hawkins last year, Don what the post game Don wasn't too happy about the way the the team played that night, and she was a little upset about it. it she just wasn't happy and all about you know about the, about the way the girls played that night. Now, mind you, down the road, neither one of us saw the team coming together. She said they, you know, she saw some things. But that night, since I was the only one there that interviewed her, you can find it it's still on the, in the archives, AKSB, DCSR, blogspot.com, PV, U of H, women's basketball. She was not happy with the way they played that night. They spent a lot of time in the, lock, post, in the locker room postgame. Um, and to, to, to Don's credit, she has really looked at two platform in my opinion. Okay. She looked at the fact that she was carrying on the legacy of Cynthia Cooper. Uh-huh. And Toyell. And Toyell in terms of what they've done in terms of bringing that program to a championship level. And then with her background in terms of being a championship player at Jackson State, her other framework is playing with championship teams in the SWAC. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So she has that balance between uh, learning under the tutelage, Elise Toyell, which was backed up by Cynthia Cooper, who obviously have shown that they're great coaches um, after Cooper being a great player in regards to their prestige of what you need to do to get your program to play to a high level. And then just with her framework with the historic um, platform of the SWAC and what she believes the SWAC stands for, them, as you talk about, is really why you hear her speak the type of verbiage and her framework in terms of where she wants to see this program go, her expectations and her frustration when the team does not play hard. She can understand, obviously, mm. when teams yep. are more talented than you are, but there's an expectation in terms of you playing to a level. And I think that played up from a historic standpoint of when they played TSU in the basketball championship game last year. You had a team that a lot of people would argue probably was more talented than Prairie View in the SWAC championship game last year. TSU was, yeah. And some people would I say agree. even over the last two years in regards to that. But because that team believes um, when it comes to the SWAC tournament, it's a different framework of mind. And they believe a championship is their destination. Four in a row. They believe it is part of their pedigree. They believe that it is who they are, where they are supposed to achieve and so she talks about that and I think that to credit 
she deserves that in terms of at least pushing that framework forward when you're talking about a framework of a team not necessarily having that expectation before and when you look at everything else that goes on with HBCU sports. And let's talk football now, but real quick, I talked about U of H has, I think, seven players, 6'1 or 6'2. Prairie View Lady Panthers, one, two, they have four players, 6'3 or 6'4. And two others are six feet tall. And I'm sure they're giving them an inch or two. Probably. Not that everybody doesn't, but I think they probably lean a little more. And Asia Hampton Finch is a senior now at PV. Boy, it seemed like Asia been there forever. Yeah. It seemed like she was at PV when I was at U of H. Yeah. That's 20 years ago. But she's still getting things done. She's still she, you're talking about somebody who used to win it. She is example number one for Prairie View, Lady Panther basketball. She is used to winning SWAC championships. And that's what it's about. So let's talk football. We want to talk about the Texans and how Mr. O'Brien. Well, first, we got to go to the college. Oh, that's what I was going to toss out oh, there. Oh, yeah, yeah. Texans or college? Let's go, let's go, let's go college first. Let's, 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 yeah, let's go local first thing. And then we'll kind of step it up a level. Um, you uh, you talk about the nice guy, Tony Levine. That's it. And his team no, losing. You, let's go straight to the nice guy. Before we it, give out superlatives. No, because I want to get, I want, I want to get uh, HBU out of the way. And I'll just and, and get done with that, and then I can then I can get into that. Okay, HBU right, lost to Incarnate Word, thirty-one to eight, I believe, it was the final score. And right. that was a team that they drilled last year. I, I mean, they pretty much ripped them up. I don't know. I, I hadn't uh, this week. I'm making effort now to get by HBU and find I out what happened. I want you to ask them the but, tough questions first. Now, on Tuesday, we're gonna find out. You know what transpired because I wasn't able to stay in the uh, stay at the game and and. and Watch it out. It wasn't ever post game, but apparently, what I read and what I saw that was posted on the website, and what I'm leading, reading is for what I read is for his stats that don't match up. You know, something happened, something transpired. You made a coaching change, whether for the better or the loss. You got to you got the second guy in, made an effort, and you still didn't win the game. Either a philosophy, either at the head coach, offensive coordinator, but something's got to happen. And they've had enough games on their belt now. That left-sided offensive line, things should be working by now. The other thing that got talked about this week, got mentioned in conversation, cross patterns, was Deontay Green. Uh, Stan, uh, um, not Deontay Green, another name that's on my mind. Uh, Stansberry? Well, you're you, right. I thought you were talking about oh, no. HBU. Oh, all I did was just wanted to mention that they that because Greenberry is dropping. He must have dropped. He dropped more balls this year in five games. He did all last year. He is not being productive this year, and it has more to do so with what's going on behind him once he leaves the line. Offensive line, quarterback is not getting it done. That is not a match made in heaven this year, for whatever reason, and not, uh, either. That's coaching, you know, either calls being made from the from the from the box, a coach being uh, a decision being made on the sideline, whatever it is, it needs to get corrected. Uh, we talked about you know them winning games and all this year, and looks like four is going to be the answer. But then when I look at the rest of this conference, they capable of winning six games, 
And that's the sad part because that tells me where the conference is overall. Absolutely. And because if Temple is competing and Memphis is competing and U of H is not, that's a problem. That's an issue. That's a concern. It's all three of those. Well, and, and when it gets to be a concern, as folks hear that, because Doc, your eyes looked up. I, I've seen that look in a, in a, in a, in a, in a, in a conference room. When, that word, that's, when somebody mentions that's a concern and an issue, Folks, let me tell you, the room gets quiet real quick, and people start to listen. Well, we've touched on this in previous podcasts. You know, we just call it problems and just and, and, and just deal with it. Yeah. But but the they Cougars, call it issues and the concerns. The Cougars have not, under Tony Levine, have not beaten many good teams, many teams with winning records. That is an issue. They played UCF. You, they played them tough. Whatever. They outgained them, gained more yards. UCF defense played well. They still lost 17-12. to 12. Their offensive play calling by Travis Bush, the OC and quarterback coach, horrible. They had first and goal in the first half, probably the five or seven yard line. Didn't score. Not, not set up for a field goal, didn't score. Their play calling on third, I believe it was third down, was just asinine. You know, they lined like in a pistol set to the right side, Ugh. and then decided to run something to the left. Just poor, poor play calling, poor decision, and then poor execution by the players. John O'Corn has regressed. Travis Bush, like I said, is a quarterback coach. So somebody got to take the blame for John O'Corn's regression. O'Corn hadn't been to a Tuesday luncheon since the season started. Yeah, I think he came for that Grammar game, and that was it. He hadn't been. He hadn't been. If you want to talk to him, you better go to practice. They had. They had I mean, literally. They did doc, have, I mean that literally. If you want to talk to him, if you talk to talk to the U of H starting quarterback, you need to go to practice. It might, it might be Greg Ward Jr. coming up for this game against Memphis. You know, this is going to be interesting. John O'Connor was twelve. I, just, I understand was where y'all coming 26 from. Twelve or twenty six. Are picks. y'all finished? The only team I want to talk about in America is East Carolina. Wait a minute. And they're ranked the with nineteen. The rough man. I'm telling you. Which is the, they're a good team, which means no, what they are range, a very good which team. Which means what you eventually will do. Lou. Thank you. They are a very good team. Top twenty-five. Yes, sir. And they consistent. And he did like go back to the conversation you you said. You know earlier when he was you know he had a, had a stint at uh, a, a quick stint at uh, Texas Tech because uh, he was a coach that was left in charge when uh, they ran off of Mike Leach. And, uh, yeah, he's past that. I don't and, even and, want to acknowledge, and, give Texas Tech any credit because well, they're not in the top 25. I know and, they're and, a Texas team, and we right. look at our and, and the only reason I'm saying that is because their loss, ECU's. You, you trying to get I'm, I'm just a, a the, framework from what he did and what they lost and, and, and what he did. But, yes, and, and, let's look at the weekend. Okay. We're looking in college. Right, hey. We're talking about college football. Yep. Enough with the sadness really? of American. And I don't think, I don't think Mr. Mr. And we'll get into some more sadness when we get into some I get some of these scores from, from, the, from that. Right. I, I'm not even going to let you acknowledge do that. We but gonna look at, but let me say this real quick about East Carolina. They allowed SMU to score 24 points. Yeah. That says something. SMU scored, tr- has struggled to score points. And, and somebody yeah. said oh, they shut out twice. But somebody said it had a lot to do with the change. The, the coaches uh, changed everything? Yeah. That may be, but didn't change the personnel. But also, I don't think Ruffin is—he's an old school type of coach. Yeah. I don't think he's the type that it, just it, will it, embarrass 
coaches in but random they, school. But they still. Well, I think your point is forty-five, twenty-four. Though we need to make sure that we understand that SMU is a team that hasn't been able to put up points, and they found a way to put up points. Again, and one more, one, one more thing: U of H's next opponent, Memphis, this coming Saturday, October eleventh, at Memphis. Play some good football. Memphis won at Cincinnati, forty-one Boom. to fourteen. To go to three and two, which gives Memphis a winning record, which means you'll be able to do what this weekend? They're gonna lose. Okay. And we're not gonna talk. I don't want to. No, no, no. I'm tired of talking. No. You tired? We gonna look at these teams that are actually winning. We are gonna give. I lived in Alabama, Doc, for about four or five years when I was working as an engineer coming out of school. That's what, a long time. What, what? That's a long time for a black man to be working in Alabama. What was funny about that? And was like, you, the know what you know what I'm going yeah, with? Yeah, exactly. That. You know, That's a long time. And they treated me well in Alabama. I'll give that. I'll put that on the table. One of the funniest things I ever remember outside of them asking me to choose whether I was Auburn or Alabama. How As a Texas guy, you know, I was concerned about that. I was like, neither. No, it's like, you have to choose one. I won't even tell you who I choose. Actually, I asked the guy who he's who he, he was for. He said Alabama. So I took Auburn just so I could be the antecedent to what he was talking about. <laughs> but really... In the heat of that conversation, one thing that it used to tickle me about Alabama fans, they would admit that things may not be the greatest in the state of Alabama. But they said as long as they had Mississippi, they would never be last. Well, yesterday, past weekend. That state state of Mississippi was was standing tall. They were almost ready to break out the bars and stars out there this weekend, for what I understand, for what somebody said. No, they won't let them do that anymore. They still got to recruit these players, man. You but you know what, though? And they had a whole bunch of recruits on in Mississippi yes, Saturday. Did. So, uh, you watch, saw that sideline? Did you see that sideline? No, I was, no, you didn't have to watch the sideline. I watched ESPN, and they were very smart. I'm listening. Mississippi was very smart in terms of that. And I ain't saying people are not proud about the bottom stars. Obviously, I have my own framework about that yeah. and the historic framework. Yeah, I the historians of people in like, I was Alabama. I talked some, to some very down to earth individuals that broke down their framework of the stars and bars, and I respected them from what they were able to communicate to me. Obviously, it didn't change my perception of what that was. But I thought Mississippi did a great job in terms of endearing themselves in terms of where they want to go as a state, particularly as institutions, in terms of having a game day. And so one of the things I did look for was cars that had particular language, that I thought may be offensive or look as offensive in terms of the flag being a word around. And I think they understood that they're in a different era in terms of the mass media. Obviously, nobody will ever look the same at the University of Memphis when they were on national television and you had the incidents that went across the nation that was on black and white television when the National Guard had to come in to the university and deal with offenses that uh, people to this day will cringe when they see it. But I want to get on a little more positive note. I bring everything from a historical framework, but this is the first time um, that people can remember back since the 60s that both Mississippi uh, schools uh, in the SEC had top 10 wins against their foes. And we'll start out with the one that was influenced by a team right out of the state of Texas when you look at Mississippi State beating down Texas A&M throughout that game 48-31, to getting Kenny Hill 
all types of frustration. He put up several touchdowns in that contest, but actually threw more interceptions in terms of what he does, and that just doesn't work. He put up four touchdowns, three interceptions in terms of that contest, but Mississippi State Bulldogs really took it to Texas A&M. Dak in regards to Prescott uh, is the real deal. Who Dak? Who Dak? That was a sign I saw. Who Dak? Say they gonna beat them Bulldogs. Dak Prescott. It wasn't passing and running. It wasn't Aggies this weekend for sure in regards to what he's doing. Put a lot of pressure up front. Put a lot yeah. of pressure up front. And he threw the ball well. He ran the ball, taking the sweeps, taking dives. Uh, very true in terms of uh, being a solid player there. Then you go to Mississippi. I still can't quite call him old Miss. And don't. That's just too much for me. But, again, this is about giving kudos to Mississippi in regards to what they did to Alabama. And this is a team that <laughs> hadn't doesn't beat Alabama very frequently, hadn't beat Alabama 10-plus years in regards to that. But not only did they beat Alabama, they held Alabama to what, 17 points? Might number right? three at the time, right? Alabama, the three point. Depends on the poll. Saving because some poll had them number one. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, coaches poll. And, and they took them to task and got down in the game. One of the scores, if you think about it, from Alabama was a defensive turnover return for a touchdown. So yep. offensively, they came them with ten points in that game, uh, which is tough. But Alabama playing a African American quarterback. It's interesting to see that that was taking place. But you give a lot of credit to Mississippi in terms of taking uh, Alabama to task and really putting a whooping on Alabama and sending them back to Alabama where they said no longer will Mississippi, at least for this weekend, be behind Alabama. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and you, you can imagine what transpired now. The, 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 uh, now, and that, I'm just making this reference because of what has recently we saw happen at A&M when – a team, a, a program changes on the landscape. There's an instant jump in financial reward from alumni that hasn't had that they hadn't had in a while. They make a a, a, a specific effort to what do you need, and it's hard to keep the boosters from going directly to the coach instead of to going to the AD. No, I think that's changed over the years. Oh, really? It used to be 10 years ago, I'll say it's true. Now they've organized that you no longer really have to worry about, you still have some problems with the SC, so I understand you, Frank. Yeah, yeah. But generally speaking, they've organized themselves so well that usually the alums understand that it's not worth what you could get your university in trouble. Okay. So all these universities have developed one major fundraising campaign. They put the funds in one campaign. And they tell everybody what they're working on, whether it's expansion to the stadium, a new basketball arena, practice facility. And what they do is they tell them the framework. They're very organized, very good what they do. Okay. The framework, saying this is going to take a year and a half. Before we start, we have to get the $5 million or $10 million. And they update them regularly. And it's on the website. It's direct mail. So they do an excellent job in terms of how they cultivate the relationship with the alumni. Question. I'm listening. What, which SEC school was also involved in the Cam Newton trouble? Mississippi State. Yeah. That's what I thought. They were down here. So I am hinting at 
the possibility of this tremendous turnaround in the state of Mississippi came from somewhere. Where? Where you say? Where you? Where you say? What you say? Well, I think if you really studied... I'm just SEC, throwing it out there. No, I think that's fair. I think if you really studied the SEC, one of the things that the state of Mississippi has always had an issue with is their best players leaving. Now, that's true. They, they've they're always true. complained they've about that. always had some very good players. If you look at the NFL rank in terms of the talent of players for the population of Mississippi, uh, Mississippi can argue with anybody that they put out their talent intensive players. The issue they've always had was the fact that most of their players would either leave to LSU and they would lose quite a few of them to the state of Alabama. What they started mm-hmm. to make was a transition, and a lot of that had to do with you, what you just brought out at the beginning of this conversation, was the fact that they removed a lot of those negative stereotypes in terms of stars and bars, yep. the fact of singing Old Dixie in terms of their fight song, changing some of the refrains from the lyrics, um, when they would, if they would sing it. Uh, and so the recruiting changed quite a bit. And this is not over just this last coaching cycle. This is from previous two or three coaching cycles where they have started making that transition, where they move with old, uh, the um, mascot, where they changed it. Oh, from, yeah. If you were yeah. with Mississippi, they changed it to the old bear. Yeah, from the Colonel Red. Yeah, uh, if you if you want to look at the history in terms of really framing this, in terms of what it takes, and if we're gonna dig there because that's what we do on the show, not just highlight scores. We tell you the historical framework from a social perspective, and what they did is they started keeping some of those talented recruits at home. And if you go back to the recruiting wars, people forget Mississippi and Mississippi State, particularly Mississippi were top five ranked recruiting class over the last two, three years. Well, those players are now sophomores and juniors, and they're playing at their level with a solid coach. And uh-huh. so with the support of the SEC in terms of the name brand it is, the fact that all your games are just about on television, those players don't feel that they necessarily have to leave the state with the changing of the framework of the institution and with the networking that takes place. So I think this is just the first indication that things have changed, uh, not just from a societal viewpoint, uh, but also in terms of a recruiting framework. And then you have the issue that people don't like to talk about, but saving is always good for losing a SEC game a year. He just tends to get the credit, and he tends to win the rest of his game, so he's in position to play for championships, and to his credit, when he gets a chance to play for the championship, he wins. So those are some things you look at. But this also was just a bona fide weekend when you had a lot of top 25 teams playing with each other. And when you have that, oftentimes you can have teams that are ranked based on people's perception actually lose to other teams uh, that may be better. You had number four, at least coming into the game, Oklahoma, in terms of the AP poll ranking, as we say in many polls, at least we'll say this, top five team. Losing to basically a top 25 team at TCU, 37-33. Action started off on Thursday yeah, with most people's number two team, Oregon, yeah. losing the game in terms of a highlight game. There. So you had some big-time upsets. You had Wisconsin going down to Northwestern for a top 25 team. And I find you had that Arizona strange. State 
uh, winning on a Hail Mary, which coming out of HBCU football land, this is the second Hail Mary I've seen just from HBCU program. So this is the third Hail Mary. I think maybe the fourth somebody was telling me uh, that they've heard in terms of uh, overall this year, two at the FBCS level, if we still use that vernacular in terms of the Big Five, I guess is what they want to be using. He had Arizona State defeating USC, a top 25 team, 38-34. So you had a lot Utah of teams. Utah beat UCLA. And they dropped down. 10 spots. 10 spots. Uh, you had Utah for a state robber. Utah State defeating BYU. Quarterback there went down with a broken ankle, it looks like. Cougar, Cougars, Houston Cougars know very well about Taysom Hill. Yeah. Beating them two years in a row. The Longhorns, and the Longhorns know even better about Taysom Hill. Longhorns even well. Who had a dog fight against Baylor who – Went in the half, could have been seven, fumbled on the one-yard line, then went in losing seven. Looks like he's fixed when <laughs> in terms of coach of uh, the Texas Longhorns. Charlie like Strong, yep. Strong fixing the defensive side of the Longhorns, but he had some work to do with the offense. No line, no that, quarterback. No, yeah. Center went out, and you can tell they struggled. They lose to Baylor 28-7. Actually, it was uh, a seven-point game going to the fourth quarter to give you some framework there where you had an upset going on. But the surprise that we probably need to kind of look at and acknowledge when we get to the framework is Notre Dame. Either you love them or hate them, like the Cowboys, but I guess we'll get into that later with the Texans. If we must. <laughs> hey, it <laughs> happened. Notre it Dame happened. It defeating Stanford 17-14. to 14. This is a team that people thought, if Notre Dame was going to get a loss early on this season. Right. Currently undefeated 5-0. and Right. Team they could do with Stafford. Physical up front. Could challenge them and did. They actually were yeah. up 14-0 in this contest before Notre Dame came back with a frenetic win to upset uh, Stanford against 17-14. If you look at the uh, rankings, Notre Dame was higher than that. But the question I get into is, we're playing on the season with this final four, I guess, that kind of framing yep. in terms of college football. Four teams, one loss records. I don't think it, it, Top clue. 25, all these upset now. Who's going to win? Who's going to get the bid before we even get into who's going to win this? Let's just go for the sake of conversation to make this interesting. Florida State. Of, Out of the ACC. Yes. So they beat Notre Dame. Yeah, That's the last tough, tough, the toughest opponent left on their schedule. They, they take care of that. So we're going to give they're, them – ACC representative. In they the, won in the, the championship, championship last year, so they're going to get a lot of benefit of doubt, even if they somehow scratch. Even though they haven't played very well this year yet. Right, and even if they scratch it, let's say they get one loss. They were championship last year. Most people like to see the championship in the tournament. Yeah. One loss, you got to believe Florida State's in, whether they lose the game or not. And, and they pretty much they win the, the ACC championship, too. they got to win it. Of course, they right. win the ACC We're saying they win a game, lose a game. If they lose one, it's outside You know, that's what ACC. I say. Because if you don't have to win the SEC, apparently, no. to get to the final. What's on well, the books? It's, it's, been proven, it's been proven now. It's, what's it's, on the books? Yeah. You're talking about what's on the books. Okay. You asked the question. Yeah. But, yeah. Do you we, have to win the championship? No. Some people have even a bigger question. You don't you have, have to win, to win the, the division. division. No. Chris. And here we go. As far as we know, you don't. Auburn, Mississippi State, Ole Miss are three SEC teams, SEC West teams, ranked second and then tied for third. They're all going to play each other. They could all beat each other up and have one loss. Exactly. Alabama has that loss already, courtesy of Mississippi. They run the table. A&M, way things are now, that I'm not sure. If, if let's say this, 
if it is scientifically probable, possible for every SEC West team to have just one conference loss. Then you have to have two, but you can have so, two. Or three. Okay, so if, if the offense is the same record, let's go with that. The offense is the same number of losses. Give me a two at least. And one of them will win, the, the be declared the SEC West Division champion. So they will go to the SEC title game. If they lose to Georgia, as in Georgia wins the SEC championship game, Georgia will go be one of the final four. So let's roll it out like this. All right. What happens Auburn, with the other teams that doesn't Auburn do Auburn wins out. They lose to Alabama. In the, in the championship game? Yeah. Alabama gets the – No, no, no. Auburn, whoever, let's say, let's say, make yeah, simple. one of those Mississippi State, Mississippi Auburn State, wins. Auburn. Auburn wins the SEC West, yeah. loses right. to Georgia. Everybody else in the West has the same number of losses. Auburn has one more loss because they lost in the conference championship game. Georgia is gone because Georgia is the they SEC, SEC champion. Now, will the question becomes: Do you have a team possibly with two losses out of the West Division of the SEC? That does not win Jack. That does not win the division. Or the conference. Doesn't play for a conference championship. Well, they play. So let's say it's Alabama to make it interesting. You know they what? have the name. Okay. Frame. All right. They have the uh, name. They don't play for a conference championship, but they're sitting in the catbird seat. Played well except for two games. Uh, yeah. Do they get a bid over Ohio State or Michigan State coming out of the Big Ten. You know what? Oklahoma I'm, coming out of the Big Twelve. Oregon coming out of the Pac Twelve. I'm a, I'm gonna say or, this. Or we just talked <clears throat> about Notre Dame as an independent slash half. Yeah, that's that, 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 my ringer and the whole thing. No matter what transpires, is is Notre Dame getting to that point? Getting to that point to where they had to had, they they had to finish line. They hadn't crossed over yet. They got their one game left, and and their things. Are, oh, no, they got they have some t- they, got they got Florida State. No, I'm not Arizona Florida. State. No, I'm talking and about USC. Okay, USC. now Arizona it, it, State is playing. Do with they you? split? It, it, so you it, would it matter on which one of those two games that they split? Or is it just the one loss that you just looking at just overall? That, that's what we put on the table. Because I think that's what, the question. Well, clearly, because they, they because be, I'm gonna ask the question. If they run the table. If they beat Florida State, if they beat Florida State and lose to Arizona State, they're still gonna be considered enough, yeah. because they beat the number one team in the country. Yeah, and they lost to a ranked team on the road. So yeah, they still know because it's Notre Dame. Now, since because we, we we mentioned in multiple teams out of out of out of Which one means conference. if Notre Dame's in, that's two conferences. And they get that out. And and that was and if SEC gets two, that's three conferences. That was mentioned <laughs> Thursday night uh, about that. You no, know, that, that's a possibility that that could happen. That if Notre Dame gets to, it gets to that point, that somebody would get left out. The question comes up then. Well, you know, it, it, it's more what, than what, it's, what, no, what it's more than. Let me get this straight. Okay. It's more than somebody getting left out from the way they set this up. It's Power Five. It's four slots. But for day one. One team was out. One conference was automatically getting left out. Now, is it, the, is, is, is it the Big Ten? Is it the Big Ten? Or the Big Twelve? Now you talking about now you saying now it's two conferences or Pac-12. Now, now, maybe, but right now, 
the question came up, and it still didn't get answered because I wasn't able to. We weren't able to finish the conversation. We're looking at the th- we are, the the group at the table basically agreed that the Big Ten could end up getting lost out of this whole situation this this first year, this first year. Well, I think the, that was early because people were putting so much hopes on Ohio State. I and, think and, there's definitely I, I understand it. I definitely think there's chances at the Big Ten, but I think. Uh, when you continue to go through this, it's going to be interesting to see how people look at Michigan State when they finish the season well, and, 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 what, and that's what they I'm... looked at. And, yeah, there's some questions that we looked at, and, but that's what we're putting on the table. So I'm asking if Ohio State or a Michigan State come out of the Big Ten with one loss. Okay. Are they going to be overlooked? And Michigan's, Michigan State's one loss is against Auburn. No, it's no, against it's Oregon. 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 Who was Ranked number two at the time, they since lost. It was on the road. But they can make a, it was on the road. They can make a run. Now you look at Oregon State. They had their first loss. They run the table. What if Kansas State wins the Big 12? Their one loss is to Auburn. That's what I was thinking. In of. a close game that they a lot of people, where they had three turnovers, missed and, some field goals. And Auburn had to come back and win that game too. So that's what we're saying. I mean, they, so they, well, they that one loss Big 12 champion Kansas State, that means they would have beaten Baylor. And TCU. And Oklahoma. Because they play everybody. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. So would they be passed over for a SEC team that doesn't win that division or play for the conference championship? The way I look at it, you know whoever what? wins their – this is where it's going to get interesting. For whoever wins their conference championship, they're probably going to have at least three wins against top 25 teams. I agree with that. I agree with that. Florida State, yes. It was if you're counting, if you accept Notre Dame as a member of the ACC. Yeah. Well, I'm just saying in period. Yeah. Whoever okay. they play because with top 25 team, not, not, not have necessarily a conference. At least okay. And three then, top 25 wins. Most of them probably will come from conference, but you're going to have some that come outside of even like you said, Kansas State. Yeah. From that standpoint, and then you have a couple of them. If they have a loss, it's probably going to be to a top 25 team. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <coughs> yes. Because Florida State will be shaky because Clemson was top 25 and they beat them without Jameis Winston. Yeah. Notre Dame run, is top so 10. They'll probably get back in the top 25. Notre Dame is top 10. And then the rest of Louisville, Virginia, Miami's already lost three times. Boston College, Florida. We'll see about the rest of those teams on the yeah, schedule. By the end of the you team, know, I, you'll find out that. Somebody else will be a top 25. But even if they only play two top 25, there's no way you're going to get a Florida State left out yeah, in the Final Four yeah. with the fact that they won a championship last year, unless they just really stubbed their toe. But they win an ACC They, they run out. They're, yeah, they'll be playing the Final Four. It's foregone whatever they call it, playoff series, whatever it's called. Yeah. So basically what, we're all in agreement that the SEC would most likely end up with two teams. They all know. They all know. I don't think they're going to get it. You don't think they're going to get it? I'm telling you. And they shouldn't. I think it's, they shouldn't. And it's, it's going to be difficult for them. See, they laid the groundwork That's my point. the last two it's years. How are you going to right. pick a team out of the SEC? You there's two there's only two ways the SEC is going to get two teams. That means you have to have a team that either loses in the SEC championship and wins their division gets a bid because they win let's say they lose the SEC championship uh-huh. on a field goal at the end. And people think that team is really good. Or you're gonna have a team out of the opposite division of the SEC that didn't even win their division play for a championship. 
how are you going to give them a bid over three other championship conference teams that are going to have wins over at least probably three top 25 teams winning a of two of those conferences winning a conference championship game and plus we added in now a Notre Dame team that is top 10 that is throwing a, mo- a monkey wrench in everybody's see the SEC gumbo soup media spin cycle began this two years ago trying throwing out throwing out the possibility of having two teams two conference members participating participating in the final four right. and they were one of the and even one of those and clearly right. one of those two teams will not be an SEC champion and may not be even a divisional champion in the SEC so they were tossing that possibility out there two years ago because it already happened in the previous scenario when you right. had in fact they were so, one of the biggest proponents or antagonist against the fact of making it where basically teams had to win their conference. Yes. And see, and far too many media accept that swallowed it whole because the SEC is so far that so far far and away the superior conference that a team not good enough to even win their division in the SEC, but it's still good enough to play for national championship. You and people, anywhere. and people sports. swallow no, that line, wild card. hook, line, and got, sinker. Yeah, even in the wild card, at the people professional level, you have that to win. Hook, line, and sinker. You didn't even win the your division, and yet you are playing for a national championship because that is the biggest crock in college football. It was all about putting money on the table and no, getting the audience. No one. You, you was, don't think so? No, because even the championship when Alabama played LSU, it was one of the lowest ranked uh, Lowest ranked, rated. Because it only had people in that region watching it. Yeah. Those are the only people that cared. And they, so in terms of television, what they did is, like you said, the media spin cycle, which is the SEC and all those outside of it that follows college football that kind of fall in that hole and listen to that madness, accepted it, and nobody really pushed the issue in terms of how appropriate this was. And they found themselves actually looking silly at the end when television rankings showed everybody that nobody's interested in the SEC except for their region, particularly when they're playing each other. It's like this is a redo of the game, and it failed. It was a redo of a, of a 9-3 game. Right. I think that was the final score. Was it 9-3 yeah, first, first time? Yes. 9-3, and yet folks said the defense was such a defensive battle and so two titanic teams. We want to see it again in the championship. Despite missed field goals left and right, but it was such a great matchup. Let's see it again in that championship game because both those teams are clearly better than everybody else. Yeah. And even in the championship game, it was a bunch of field goals until the Alabama scored a late touchdown to finally get on the board with the touchdown. So kudos to the SEC machine for putting it out there yeah. that they're supposedly so great. But shame on everybody else for swallowing that stuff and not questioning it enough to get rid of it. Yeah, so um, with this past weekend, with the losses, uh, I don't see how you're going to get two teams in the SEC in the championship. Who are you, sir? Yes, I'm Dr. Kenyatta Cavill, a sports professor in terms of sports management at Texas Southern University. 
You can follow me on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Dr. Kenyatta Cavill, D-R-K-E-N-Y-A-T-T-A-C-A-V-I-L. Mostly I'll give you the top 25 in regards to looking at uh, HBCU programs, and I'll particularly give you a mid-major and major top 10 poll ranking, and we'll give you a little insight of HBCU football in a little bit. Who are you, sir? I am the Fifth Ward Wildcat. You can find me on the media social platform, Facebook, Blogger, uh, YouTube, uh, Twitter, Facebook, TweetDeck. You got so many things you talk about. Oh, yes, yes. But but now, we, uh, you got to have it all there. out there. You got to have it all out there. You got to do everything. You got to be able this is a multimedia type situation for all journalists involved. Prince and also. I agree. Um, Which some folks are finally beginning to realize. But uh, I digress. Go ahead, sir. Trust me. I, I will. I know where you come from. I understand what you're talking about, sir. And I feel the same way. And hopefully they get it somewhere along the way. Facebook, Twitter, TweetDeck, J.L. Woodley 1, Jerry Lee Woodley Jr., Jerry L. Woodley Jr., and you can find me on also my my uh, videos, my write-ups at AKSV DCSR, the College Sports Report Blogspot.com, and on YouTube AKSV DCSR. And I am KG of the Houston Round Ball Review, www.houstonroundballreview.com, also www.the hrr.com i'm on twitter at t-h-e-h-r review got a youtube channel you can check out coach huey and his players as well as rockets media day at houston round bar review youtube channel houston round bar review on instagram some photos from media day that are posted there earlier houston round bar review we have our kg fifth world wildcat and doc facebook page check that out don't be shy to post topics, post questions, post critiques if you want to. We're all grown men here. We've all been criticized before. Yep. So post those questions. Post things you want us to discuss. Don't be scared. Don't be scared. Don't be shy. Our podcasts are available on iTunes. Now, don't get crazy. For free. Yeah, don't don't get blasted now. Cause we'll, we'll, we're yeah, not afraid to. You ain't afraid to just throw bricks and throw the house now. So, yeah. It's so, we're, we're not afraid. That. Just kidding. Just you know. Kidding. But we're on our the podcasts are on iTunes as well as SoundCloud.com, and we're we're global because we do have listeners who listen in foreign countries listen to the podcast. Absolutely. So while we let you know about a little bit about how to reach and contact each of us, we'll take this time for you to hear about hear from our sponsor, THG Agency. Are you looking for business strategies and services in the areas of sports management, educational leadership, and project management for your sports camps, AAU teams, local business, or athletic department? Well, you come to the right place. THG Agency is the Heritage Group. It is a fully integrated sports entertainment, educational leadership, and project management consulting company focused on sports leadership and educational administration with six areas of consulting expertise, sports business management, educational 
professional sports assessment, data analysis, educational curriculum development, advanced leadership execution, and statistic solution consulting. Our services are well-defined but tailor-made for our clients we represent. For more information, give us a call at 281-330-1341 or email us at info at thg-agency.com. You can also visit the website at thg-agency.com. Thanks once again to THG Agency. And if anyone is, is interested in becoming a sponsor, you can go to the, my website for the link, HoustonRoundBarView.com. has a link to uh, sponsorship on there. Or, or just tweet us. Go to the Facebook page and ask us questions. There's many different ways to how to contact us. So we're looking for more sponsors. Basketball season is here. Football season is in, is in the middle. Getting to the meat of the season. Oh, yeah. We're in the, we're in the quarter turn. And now we're going to have a... Some time to hear from Doc talk about some HBCUs. Let's start you with Texas it, Southern side and have that magnificent win on last night. In last front of season. nobody. Well, let's talk about it. Yeah, let's talk about you, it. You could talk, talk about, about how the fans were. What did you see with the fans? It, a lot of questions were asked uh, from uh, fans, especially from the, from the Valley folks. They, they basically asked, you know, where the students? You know, where the fans are? You know, just, and then I think it comes back to Valley being where they are located, you know, like Prairie View and in, in a small town uh, atmosphere, basically what they call a college town. Uh, Texas Southern and Southern and Jackson State, they're in an urban area, but Texas Southern is in a unique situation where they are basically boxed in by the neighborhood and they're in a, metro, uh, a, a metropolitan that is, is pushed by pro sports rather than college sports. Yeah, and, and that's a, that's an emphasis that, and you kind of when you when you talk to people about that that are not from here, they understand it, but they don't quite understand it just because they can't see why there's an interest when a team is winning, like Texas Southern is right now. They're pushing the envelope, but they're getting things done, and they they're in a fight now for the winner uh, the one another conference championship. And this team is, it is what it is, but they're they're finding a way to win games. And they're looking for some support, but they also have said, we just going to get it done every Saturday. They're looking for support because the announced attendance, the attendance in the box score of THU's victory Saturday night is 1,564 inside of BBVA Compass Stadium. 1,564. That means they didn't even make up numbers to get 5,000 or or round up to 2,000, 1,564, and I'm assuming that's the turnstile count, which makes it uh, even worse, yeah. because that means tickets sold is not a lot. Yeah. So they're not even selling tickets, and then folks not showing up to watch, you know, staying home watching on TV, or on the internet, on YouTube channel that TSU had. 1,564, that's less than some of their basketball games. Some of the women's games last year, I think, drew more than that. Yeah, I think they had a women's volleyball game against Prairie on campus where the women's coach really did what we would call grassroots uh-huh. marketing, uh, guerrilla marketing from that standpoint and had arguably 1,500 people within the HMP arena to watch the volleyball game. So there's some major issues in regards to fans coming out in regards to following uh, the football program. Obviously, you had a team. That had won a game against Mississippi Valley State that hasn't played good football that people don't have much interest in within the SWAC and even more so outside of that. 
I do give some credit to the students on campus who uh, happen to be a second advisor for organization uh, that is actually shooting videos, doing marketing uh, components, along with the sports and marketing promotion, et cetera, et cetera, to try to get at least the students out in the game. And I think if they get students, they can go and get fans outside of that. But I think there's one of the main issues uh, that's kind of under the radar with Texas Southern University is you have still have a large contingent of fans, particularly alumni, who have not bought in to the fact that BBVA is actually their home stadium. And everything about it to them doesn't <laughs> say home stadium. So somehow they have to create that connection with that. I think there's some people that are actually resentful uh, to the fact that the game oh. is not played on campus. Oh. You know, which is an is... issue, and you already have the issue that uh, larger city universities uh, have with attracting a metropolitan Quest- type of question for you fan base to come to game. How how long? I guess is the question. How long is the contract or the deal or the arrangement that Tech Southern has it was with BBVA? Twenty years, twenty five years. It's one of those traditional oh, okay. contracts, it's, so it's pretty lengthy. Now I'm not to the letter of the law of the contract in terms if there's an attendance clause in there that may shorten it or the cost associated with renting it out in terms of being a co-tenant. Yeah, okay. You know, how does that hemorrhage the payment uh-huh. of playing in there? I don't know how those play out. I mean, obviously with a thousand uh, people at a game, yeah. you could play the game on campus at a facility uh, if you needed to in terms of housing that. So those are some interesting mm-hmm. questions that those individuals that actually make the decision uh-huh. when you're talking about the athletics director as well as president with uh, Dr. Charles McCullen and President John R. Rudley in regards to what are their thoughts in terms of moving this forward. What What is the attendance for PV's football stadium? It, has, it currently has under about 5,000, 5,500 seats. They'll bring in for major games, like when they play Southern, they'll bring in maybe 5,000 more seats for homecoming. I think they can get ten to 13,000 in there for and, major and games, such as homecoming is when they really And the new stadium? And the new stadium is going to be seating at about 15,000 with the ability to expand to like 30,000. Um, there's some issues with Prairie View in terms of, although it now almost is looked at as a, a school on the metropolitan areas of Houston as Houston continues to expand just outside of Cyprus. Right. Which now Cyprus actually almost becomes about a 15 to 20 minute drive versus when I was back in school at Prairie View. Oh, yeah. with you, you were talking about 20, 25 minute drive just to get back in to uh, and this, two, 290, 1960 yeah. area of Houston. So that's even expanded. But TSU happens to be the largest HBCU in a metropolitan city, the only HBCUs that compare to it, if you would, would be um, Morgan State, Maryland, uh-huh. Baltimore, Maryland, right. if you would, uh, Coppin, but they don't play football. Right. With them being in that area. You also have, obviously, Howard in Washington, D.C. Yeah. If you want to dip down to the Division Two level, you would have Clark, Atlanta. Yeah. Obviously, in Atlanta. Right. And then some people, to some degree, would look at maybe Tennessee State. In Nashville, in terms of a middle metropolitan area, but I think you're pushing the limit when you talk about Nashville at that level. But as you see outside of that, the other one, which is Chicago State, which is a minority-serving institution that happens to have 
a large population of African American over ninety percent. Uh-huh. Uh, but because of its designation in terms of when it was founded as an institution was prior to when HBCUs were getting their designation. So it's not listed as a HBCU institution when you look at Chicago State. It is listed as a minority serving institution. Oh, okay. so that would be another one that would create a similar framework when you look at the actual population of the institution because uh, at one time they actually did seek um, membership in the MEAC uh-huh. because they thought their classification was similar. But because they were so far from those teams, right. they weren't granted membership and they're in Chicago. And nor do they play football to give you some framework gotcha. of the sport business side of this. But I think it's a huge issue uh, moving forward when you look at how does a team that is now five and one, obviously going in game four and one, winning all the games basically in this area. How do you deal with the excitement? It's a team that plays some pretty exciting football. Uh, has, has beat up on teams like they're supposed to in terms of who they're supposed to play. Mm-hmm. Beat their rival early. Uh-huh. So it's going to be fascinating. But they will get some bigger teams uh, in terms of name brand into the stadium later this year. So it'll be interesting to see uh, in terms of playing Grambling. Obviously, they go on the road to play Southern this year. Right. Um, they have Jackson State that's coming in. But there's some question in terms of what Jackson State will be because Jackson State actually lost to Prairie View. Yeah. They gave Prairie View their first victory of the season, which is a 48-30 to 30 game. This is a team that was losing a half to Prairie View 27-17. to 17. Yeah. So Prairie View outscored them literally 31-3 to 3 in the second half, which is a team that hadn't started anybody. They finally got what you would want of a defensive team. They got some key turnovers, and their offense did what they were able to do in terms of they actually started green in terms of the quarterback and went back to Lovelock, who put up the numbers in regards to that fight. Give uh, Coach Northern some credit. He ha- continues to have the guys uh, fighting in the game in terms of getting Trey Green, who went 4-7 early, kind of injured himself after scoring the touchdown to kind of get him on the board. And Jerry Luglock did his part in terms of coming in there and putting up 135 yards after Green put up 70 yards. Uh, Lovelock put up two touchdowns and one interception. Some other scores that were out there that may surprise you is Southern dominated Arkansas Pine Bluff Golden Line 51-36. We told you about Texas Southern beating Mississippi Valley when we looked at the tennis issue. They continue to win, winning that game 20 to 16. Texas Southern improved the 5 and 1, 3 and 1 now in conference play as they're solid. Uh, another surprise after the some people is Grambling State. It looks like they're uh, back in the football business in terms of the G men beating up at Alabama as they went on the road, winning the third straight. Their offense gives folks problems in the SWAC. And they're winning, no question about it. 3 and 3, 3 and 0 oh in the SWAC. That spread offense. But the big game was a Thursday night game that really surprised a lot of people. The Braves of Alcorn or for real. They defeated uh, the Alabama State Hornets who were rolling. Beat a Tennessee State team that was ranked top five that a lot of people thought was going to make a run at a national championship at the HBC level and make a run at a playoffs. They since lost. They lost to Southeastern Missouri State for their first conference loss, second loss of the season with the first one coming to Alabama State. So Tennessee State lost their game 28-21. to So that's some question there, maybe where Tennessee State is at. Uh, but Auckland State dominated the uh, Hornets of Alabama State 33-7. to But look at this in terms of yardage. Uh, they put up, and when I say they, I'm talking about the Braves, put up over 600 total yards, nearly 400 rushing, to be exact, 391. 
and put a that's pillow a lot and shit. Of, that's, that's a lot of, that's a lot of, that's steamrolling. That's a lot of that cat. 391 rushing yards. They were averaging 6.5 a carry, uh, rushing for 60 attempts. So they wasn't like they didn't get their attempts in. The pass for 217. John Gibbs Jr. right here out of Houston. He put up 217. What high school? What high school? Booker T. Washington. Thank you, sir. I was, I was waiting you on you there. On I was waiting on you. I was you waiting like, on hey, me? Yeah, you was waiting on the HSD guy? You going to lay it on the HSD guy? Yeah. But even bigger was John Gibbs with his feet. On 13 carries, he rushed for 106 yeah. yards and a touchdown. But the man of the hour behind Anthony Williams the third, who put up just 53 yards, but is really solid in their rushing tech, was Darion Ragsdale, who rushed for 173 yards on two touchdowns with a long of 40 on just 22 carries. I'll give you top five. Dominated that contest. When we look at the top five <clears throat> for... And where can folks find your top ten? They can go to uh, Dr. Kenyatta Cavill in terms of following me on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. You'll see it there. D-R-K-E-N-Y-T-T-A-C-A-V-I-L. You can go to Onidon, www.onnidan.com. You can go to hbcusports.com. Those are places that carry my poll couple of other ones out there in college college sporting news.com and they uh, posted as well in regards to the Houston media watch they they posted in regards to the football polling or you can email me directly at kcaville at thg-agency.com to get all the latest and greatest on the entire top 10 but we'll just give you the top five but in terms of that we want to give a little love quickly to the mid-majors we'll do that we'll give them top five as we move over to the major and make you wait on that a little bit. Top five, Tuskegee Golden Tigers, 3-2, and 3-0. and oh, If they continue to show that they should be a top five program uh, with one of their losses in terms of conference play to be Winston-Salem State, and you'll see where they are in the polls, which won't surprise anybody. The Livingston Blue Bears had their first loss of the season, 4-1 and one now, 1-1 one and one in the CIAA action. They moved down to number four from a two spot. And number three is Virginia Union Panthers. They move up from the four spot as they continue to win at four and one. Now three and zero in the CIAA race. Then you have number two, surprising some people here, Morehouse Maroon Tigers, four and one. Now three and zero in the SIAC race, and they sit up there and will make a run at the East Division of the SIAC, who will play the winner of the Western Division, which probably will come down to Miles as well as Tuskegee, as Miles jumps just inside the. T- Top 10 at number 10, to give you a hint on that kind of matchup. Number one, not surprising anybody, is Winston-Salem State. As I told you, they defeated Tuskegee earlier. They jumped back into the top five, uh, and Winston-Salem State remains number one. They picked up all the first-place votes after Livingston lost and gave that first-place vote up. They have 11 this week for 111 points as they continue to dominate HBCU programs. Can't tell you the last time they lost the HBCU game. It's over three years ago as they dominate HBCU competition, have a couple of FCS wins in there. They hadn't played them late. Most of them are running from them, but they definitely dominate at the Division II level. They're 4-1, and 2-0, making runs at national championship, played in championship game two years ago, played in the semifinal uh, three years ago. They are looking at winning the NCAA championship, not just uh, winning the CIAA and HBCU. So it'll be interesting to follow them. But let's get to the big boys and see what they did this week after we gave you some updates on some key, key MEAC matchups. One that I will give you before we get into the top 10 is that North Carolina A&T and South Carolina State, that a lot of people had their eyes on in terms of the top 10 matchup. South Carolina State got it done, 13 
to zero. They shut out A&T. A lot of people still trying to figure out what happened there. Quick note, uh, Quick, the quarterback from A&T, he injured himself in this game, did not play, which threw off a lot of the game and that and, and really kind of determined the outcome of the game. But they'll let you know the credit of A&T's defense was ranked top five in the nation at the FCS level uh, before this game, how talented they were. They were in the game until the end. Fourth quarter was 7-0. Even though South Carolina State found a way to get in the red zone, A&T Aggies defense was so tough, they found a way to force turnovers, miss field goals, and things of that nature as they at least tried to get the offense a shot to get it done. But they literally needed to score on defense, couldn't quite do that as they were shutting that matchup. Let's look at top five just outside of this as we talk to you about these teams. Tennessee State at six. Give some love in terms of Texas. Texas Southern is the number seven. But let's look at the top five big boys as they get it done. Alabama State Hornets, four and two, three and one. They dropped for the number one spot after that talk loss that we just talked about to the Braves of Alcorn State at number four. North Carolina NT Aggies, four and two, one and one. Uh Previous rank two, so they dropped down. So they look like the big boys as the top ten falls in terms of Doctorville's HBCU major division poll as they were beat up this weekend. We talked about A&T losing to South Carolina State. Well, South Carolina State comes in at number three. South Carolina State Bulldogs are four and two. Overall in the season, 2-0 in the MEAC races. They come up with a huge win because right now, Bethune-Cookman and South Carolina State do not play each other in the regular season because there's 11 teams in the MEAC, so they had that odd scheduling that you used to see out of the Big Ten, so you see that coming out again. South Carolina State did own, earn one first-place vote as they move up from the sixth box to number three, bringing it, we told you that they don't play Bethune-Cookman Wildcats, who are number two in the poll, who are 4-1, 1-0, play Delaware State, for their first conference game of the year, they defeated Delaware State in their game. Uh, they have four first-place votes moving up from the three spot, bringing us to number one. Alcorn State Braves, as we talked about, dominating that game, earn the rankings in terms of the computers of what they're doing, 5-1 and one on the season, 3-0. and oh. The lone loss is to Southern Mississippi, FBS program. They do have two wins against non-FCS programs, but when they play teams, they dominate it in put their stake on why they should be number one, and this week they are. Six first-place votes, 101, 102, excuse me, total points, moving up from the fourth spot. But the question of the week is, do they continue to hold on to the number one ranking? Last two weeks, teams that were ranked number one have failed and fell hard. First was Texas Southern two weeks ago. They went down to Alabama State. Last week it was Alabama State. They went down, as we just talked about, the Alcorn State Braves. Do the Braves go down this weekend? Most of you will say, yeah. what's the matchup? They're in Braveland. They're in Braveland. Matchup is another top ten matchup. They played it hot. Grambling State Tigers team that we just talked about is 3-3 three and three overall, but won three straight games in the SWAC. And they travel this week to Grambling State. This is a huge rival. Anybody that follows SWAC, anybody that follows HBCU uh, football and sports in general understands the rivalry between Louisiana and Mississippi. We talked about it at the FBS level in regards to what Mississippi is doing. But this is another case where it falls right in line at the FCS level with HBCU program. Grammar State, Alcorn State have had some bitter robbers in the year. It'll be interesting to see as Alcorn State Braves come in to Grammar State Tigers who are confident about what they're doing. And it's a good kudos to the Grammar State Tigers that we all know about what happened last year in terms of this program. Had to make a coaching change. But it looks like they're right in the ship. And as we say, the 3-0 in conference race, they have a chance to make a major statement 
facing the number one team in Dr. Cliff's HBCU major division football top 10 poll ranking. Real quick, let's talk Texans Cowboys. Cowboys won in overtime today on a field goal thanks to Mr. O'Brien's timeout. Out thinking himself, thinking too much. It's timeout. Arian Foster was gassing the Cowboys in overtime period. And this is after Coach O'Brien did what many thought was a pretty good job coaching-wise running in to up to the minute because some people were questioning whether he should have took some time out as he was leading up to the field goal that left him just seven points down with ten, two minutes and, and left. Thank you for that. I was I had left U of H basketball practice, listened to uh, Andre Ware, a U of H alum, and Mark Vandermeer doing the radio broadcast. And Andre, fourth quarter, Texans are marching down the field. Andre kept saying the Texans are in four-down territory, trailing by ten points. And I'm thinking to myself, they kick a field goal, they're down one score, seven points. If they go for it and miss, the game is over. There's like four minutes left. So I'm trying to channel my wave pattern to get to Andre and say, no, Dre, they kick a field goal here, they're still in the football game. game, They don't score, the game is over. That's right. And then once they made the field goal, then it's like a light went on Andre's head. Oh. So they still have a chance here. So, and then thank, thanks. I, it was just weird. It's like all of a sudden he realized that the game is what where, where was Mark, they were doing. Where was Mark Vanderbilt Mark, in this problem? Oh, you yeah, whatever. I don't know. Mark was Mark was doing his what? What does he do? Play by play, by play guys. He was just focused on his job. <laughs> say, I, really? That's that's all I can say. He was focused on really? his job. And then it cut it to oh. seven. Then the Cowboys did a piss poor job of running out. Using up any clock. I think they possessed to 29 seconds. Didn't waste any. Texans had timeouts, you know. And the Texans scored <laughs> uh, four plays, tied the game up, forced overtime. Getting overtime, Texans win the kick. First few plays, and Foster's breaking, making big rushing gains. Pick up first downs, moving into position. More running plays, getting third and two. O'Brien decides to go five wide, empty backfield. And Foster does, doesn't get the ball. They don't convert third down. They got a punt. Cowboys get a great, great catch from Dez Bryant. Set up the field goal. Game winning field goal. Field goal's made. Texans lose. Not Texans are three and two. Got a game against the Lux this Thursday. Quick turnaround. So Andrew Luck, we know is a better quarterback than Ryan Fitzpatrick. So if it comes down to quarterback play, the Colts are going to win. Texas all of a sudden three and three in a span of five days. So. We'll see how much if that happens. And we'll see how much bloom is still on the rose from Texans fans. And and he's got a worse line to work with. Andrew Luck has no real talent to work with on a steady, on a consistent basis. But he's Andrew Luck, and, and they have Ryan Fitzpatrick. Yeah, yeah. Quarterback, folks. Quarterback. So there we go on that Wildcat. You know, this is the second year I'm gonna. I'm really shifting gears here, as we wind it down. You got sir. This is the second consecutive season that the. Doc, let me see if Doc knows. Let me toss this out here. Okay. Doc, as we are bringing you along to the women's college basketball realm, <laughs> happily, look Thank forward goodness. to you joining us in the women's Final Four. In Thank Tampa. goodness. Happily. What big-time basketball conference, women's basketball conference, would you say is not going to have a media day? American. Nope. Nope. 
because we're yeah. going to be there in, in New York. Yeah. Remember that? Yeah. Why yeah. can't not? We'll be in New York for yeah. the media day for the American yeah. Conference for yeah. Men and Women. Yeah. Go ahead. Go for it. Go for Keep it. Keep guessing. Come on now. I know it can't be the SEC. Nope. They'll, no. have, they'll have media day. Yeah, they'll have media day. It has to be, can't be the SEC. Pac-12? I, I, actually, I, I, he may be, the ACC may not have media day as well now as yeah, well. Yeah, because, because uh, cause I, I think that happened last year. Yeah, because I think they would want to start that trend. But keep guessing. Pac-12. Nope. Keep guessing. Big 12. Yes, sir. The Big 12, the leaders in the conference attendance for 15 years in a row. Yeah. For the second straight season, will not have an official media day. Instead, they will have it as ex- as they spend it a they describe it as a campus tour. Where, what? Where they will what? The media representative for the conference will go to each member school and uh, speak to the coach and a few players. I call them players, not student athletes. That's what they put it as. Spin it as. So basically, I got to make a trip to Austin. So this happened last year too. But uh, yeah, if you want to, you know, and then they'll e- they'll email the links to the media, the interview footage, you know, Thank the B roll, et cetera, et cetera. You follow them on the social platforms. But yes, the Big Twelve for the second straight season will not have a media day because trust and believe, if they were having one, I would be there. This is. But yes, this is the same thing happened last year. Yeah. And, and I was told by one person uh, it was something that the ACC had started a while back. So, yeah, that's why I think Doc is correct about saying the ACC is also yeah. does not have media day for women's basketball. And that is and it's interesting. those elite powerhouse conferences in women's basketball. And the reason I've heard is because media doesn't want to, maybe not because of the budget, media does not want to travel to a city and not just focus on one team. Seems like one star-studded team dominates the media day and they don't get a chance to talk to the other teams or they can just talk to their local teams, their beat writers, their team that they cover for their beat in the, within their city. So why travel to get quotes, blah, 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 blah. Okay. Really? That's disappointing R- to me. Really? Fascinating. Especially when the Big 12 men media day is going to be in Kansas City. I'm not sure what difference that's going to be, you know, Elite teams. There's a lot of elite teams. Kansas is the Big Twelve when it comes to championships. Yeah. Yes, he doesn't yeah. have any problem spending money for the, for that. But just wanted to toss that out there as, as you wind it, yeah. wind don't, it down. Don't digre- as they say, don't digress. Don't digress. <clears throat> but that gummit, at some point, you have to say something. So and I don't know. I, this, I just threw it out there. And it's interesting because Conference USA two days. Well, uh, no, I take that. I take that. Conference USA is having a media day. Men's and women's. Check me wrong. Day. Even the SWAC is having a media day, right? Yeah, they do a teleconference, but they haven't. At least it gets stuff done. This is going to be really so interesting. That's what I'm going to. Fellas. Well, what's scary is if you have major sci fi conferences that have what many people think are all the interests and definitely have all the financial means to do so, uh-huh. they decide not to do it. What do you think the other programs are going to start doing? And, and folks don't realize what you just said. Most people don't understand what you just said. So it seems like inev- inevitably a trend is starting. Media days for women's hoops may be going away. So we'll see how that all plays out. Gentlemen, once again, thank you for your time, your insight. One thing I want to throw out there before we close it up, I know we're short on time. we got to give some love to Major League Baseball. They're in the playoff series. And what's going extra on. Extra innings. Yeah. Pitching. Extra innings. Hitting, galore. 
in folks is watching, on, and, and maybe because of the one game, you know, everybody's taking a game by game situation. Rotations are all screwed up, and every night there's a play, at least one play that kind of like just draws it all out and says, "This is why we play baseball." Am I wrong, Doc? No, I agree with you. When you look at one of the major teams that you talk about, the Kansas City Royals. Yeah. Oh. People. Wouldn't I think, think George should... Brett had a little tear the other night when he when he did post game. I was like, he's so proud. He's yeah. so proud. He should be happy because they're playing some good baseball. Um, they're looking like they're going to be on their way two games to none over Los Angeles Anaheim Angels in regards to what's going on there. Uh, leading that game, I believe, uh, as we look at now, 5-2 to two early in that game. But they're up 2-0. and oh. We had Los Angeles Dodgers even up the series last night yeah. with the St. Louis Cardinals 1-1. One they went in the extra innings, big play in terms of that going down. You have uh, Washington Nationals and San Francisco Giants playing as that went in the extra innings. As it looked like the Washington Nationals were going to even up the series. San Francisco Giants tied it late before they went in the extra innings and then won it in extra innings. So that's a thriller for those that are able to stay up late at night and watch those. Mm-hmm. Innings. Oh, yeah. And then, obviously, you have uh, the Baltimore Orioles getting it done as they defeat Detroit. You know, they jumped up two games to none in that game. They closed it out today, so they're already moving on to the American League Man. championship Man. as they play uh, to get it done. Some interesting games going on there. Kudos for those teams that are playing some good baseball. Just wanted to throw that out there for Major League Baseball, those fans. Let them know that we do cover it all and watch it And, all. folks, I will say this just because of the fact that Everybody hadn't witnessed it, but I have, and I'm thankful that I was. I had the opportunity to. I know what a real opening day baseball looks like. Witness one in St. Louis. It's different. It's just different. And folks, I'm talking about when the when the trains and the buses start running at four o'clock or whatever time they start running in the morning. People are in their their their, their uh, cardinal red, and they're headed downtown. And they are all at the park, and everybody's radio and TV are all out and about, and you can walk from table to table, booth to booth. Everybody's all out there, and it's just open, open season for all the Cardinal fans, and they appreciate what they do, and 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 it's all just a celebration. It's just a celebration. I you just have to witness it yourself. NBA starting off. Anything on the NBA for you, close? Thank you very much, because I sure did not want to end the podcast with that garbage. Talk about baseball and, Wait a minute, and, man. and, and America's past its time sport. Did you just get beat sport. down by some as a youngster? As a youngster, youngster. past its time sport. As a youngster, you just got beat so down. So yes, the Rockets field. Media Day was last Monday, and uh, there are video footage from that on my men's hoops blog. Defense is the main emphasis for the team. Daryl Morey and Kevin McHale. Dwight Howard is talking about leading by example, not necessarily by just words. But James Harden, Dwight did say something that kind of surprised me, that James Harden really took or has taken the criticism of his defense, took it personal, and kind of I'm hurt thank it. thank you. Thank and you. I, and I'm thank glad. You. I hope so. I, I, I hope it took it personal. Because at, he, at one he thing, is Coach talented Cody. enough to be a defensive player, a much better defensive player, than he has shown thus far in his Rocky uniform. Apparently, Put Coach K got some effort, like you give a damn. At least Coach Coke must have got next to him. He so, must have got next you know, to him. We'll see if he's consistent enough on the defensive end because you have 
Pat Beverly and Dwight Trevor Trevor Reza. You got three very good defensive players. So don't be a sieve. Stop relying on just the team defense and the guys to have your back. Because if you are just a turnstile, then you allow you force your teammates to cover your back, and then they get in foul trouble and disrupt the rotation and mess up things. So just be good enough. And this it is the NBA. It's one thing Kevin McHale said. It's the NBA. You are not going to be very difficult for you to just stop another good player. But you need to at least force that good player to make tough shots. Get him out of his comfort zone instead of just shooting easy layups. Make him work for it. Make him work for it. And that's something James Harden did not do, especially in the playoffs last year. So listen, go to the Men's Who's blog, check that out. And um, one more thing, Dwight Howard needs to do a better job letting folks know how serious his back injury was when he had it. He came back too soon. He admitted that finally, that he should have taken a little bit longer to, to recover and be 100%. He's now 100% healthy. I think you're going to see a much more impactful Dwight Howard on offense as well as defense. Trevor Reza was quoted as saying Dwight Howard looks like the athletic, even more athletic than he was when Trevor was Dwight's teammate in Orlando. So that's something for the Rocket fans to look forward to. Hopefully at some point soon we'll get an announcement. The judge will determine where the Rocket game will be on TV for more of us to see here locally. So stay tuned for that. Listen, David Barron, read his articles at the Chronicle.com website. Fellas, this is a very good podcast. We did a good job of doing something that some folks will never know about. So thank you once again. See you next Sunday for another podcast. Yeah. U of H Memphis game will be Saturday, I think, on CBS Sports Network, 6 p.m. kickoff. Yeah. U of H 2-3, Memphis 3-2. That's a good team. So U of H, uh, we know that's going to happen. U of H is probably going to lose. Rice won this weekend. U of H men. Basketball practice starts on Monday. Wildcat will be there. Check out his blogs for those reports. Kevin Sampson is closed practice, so we're not going to be able to see anything. Oh, yeah. That's the other thing. So that, that's practice really closed, just like the Rockets. Rockets. <laughs> Just like he was with the Rockets. Rockets practice closed, so you can get a chance to talk to him before practice or after. But not going to see anything. Well, the, the, the memo, and I'm, it's, I'm quoting it correctly, you can do pre, there will be no speaking, unless the coach decides to talk to the media before. But players won't be talked to until post-practice. Practice is first 15 minutes, and then you will sit around and wait, or you go and get something else done. And then you come back after practice is over with, and then you have you to speak. And that's how it is with the Rockets. So, yeah. You can't watch Rockets practice. You can sit in a room and wait, work on some other stuff to let us know when it's over. Come down and talk to people. Same thing's going to be done with U of H, apparently. It's going to be interesting. It's going to be an interesting because I'm going to tell you. How, how much of is that the norm at the professional level? It depends. It depends. It depends. Previously, when Rudy T was Rockets coach, we could watch practice. Oh, yeah. Until. The incident. So anyway, we're going to talk about and, and that. And there was an incident. And I'm not going to go into details, but there is an incident. And you know what? I don't fault the Rockets. I fault the people that was reporting and didn't know how to keep their mouth shut. That's another thing. So that's what because I, of the uh, incident, we can't watch practice anymore. I don't blame you. That just, it, it, so I'm ra- agreement in that now. So I'm going to wrap it up, as I always do. Go to iTunes. Go to SoundCloud.com. Uh, looking, look for posts on our on our Facebook page for updates about our next podcast. Should be next Sunday. Thank you as always for your time. Thank you for listening, listeners. Tell your friends about it. Spread the word about the KG Fifth Ward Wildcat and Doc podcast. Wrap it up as I always do. In conclusion, 
be true, be cool, and do more.